Hey there, welcome friend. It's been said that communication makes the world go round. I think that's just about right. Whether it's friendship, romance, marriage, parenting, grandparenting, how about business and sales and teaching, leading, influencing, church ministry, even government, athletics, the list goes on and on. Welcome, friend, to episode 263 of Jesus Smart, the podcast. You can see the show notes page for links and this episode to take it further, jesussmart.com slash 263. You know, I just had a little interaction with our family cat. Thorin is his name, and I had to remove him from a stool that I need to use to record on. And so he didn't like that. He meowed at me, and he always lets me know, gives me a little bit of lip if you know what I mean, when we uh, move him or do something, he's a very smart cat, but you know, he's got a bit of an attitude. And I just said, Hey, go read a book, Thorin. Go, 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 go work on a project you're working on. Hey, Thorin, go do something right now that your future self will be glad you did. You know, maybe do some reading, maybe improve yourself, maybe do some exercise. I don't know, but don't just sit around doing nothing. Go do something that your future self will be grateful for. Think about your future self, Thorin. I'm motivated to bring everybody along, my entire family, my, our daughters, and even our family cat, Thorin. Okay, so a um, little behind the scenes there as we're recording segments for this episode. I'm convinced more than ever that Jesus Christ knows how our lives work best, and he's passionate about developing his followers as both intimate friends and co-agents co-agency in his kingdom. Listen to an episode or two and see if you might want to add the podcast to your playlist. Dr. Charles Stone helps us in this episode on persuasive communication if Jesus gave a TED Talk with principles that we can learn from the most effective communicator in history, Jesus Christ. He explores eight neuroscience principles that the master teacher, the master communicator used to persuade one-on-one communication, small clusters, small groupings, synagogue audiences, and massive outside crowds. There's a solid top-level survey that we do here, but we focus on uh, three or four core principles, including creating affinity, creating connection with those you're communicating with, knowing who they are and helping that person or that group or that audience to learn to trust you and know you and like you. We talk about emotion, how to leverage powerful emotional learning and to limit the impact of cognitive dissonance and to use stories to lead in with well-placed stories to illustrate in our communication. Again, parenting, every life domain. And we also look at how to then transfer, how to stimulate life application. Now what is the question? So creating cues and helping those we are communicating with to remember what we're saying and to begin to act on it, to to bring them along. We're just a couple steps ahead of them and we want to bring them along and get them to move with us on something. In all of this neuroscience, we count on the work of the Holy Spirit as well. Dr. Charles Stone is a pastor in Canada. He has earned three academic degrees plus an executive master's in the neuroscience of leadership, currently working on his PhD. I think you're going to like this. He has a book on the topic, but you're going to gain a lot from this episode. Okay, here we go with Dr. Charles Stone. 
Hey, welcome listener to the podcast today. I'm really excited about our guest, Dr. Charles Stone. I'm going to introduce him in just a moment. He's an expert on neuroscience and leadership. And as it relates uh, specifically to uh, ministry, but I think there's application here for all kinds of life domains. I find it interesting and encouraging that the Bible tells us to love God with all of our mind. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And Paul even says in Ephesians 4, I think that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. Is this too much to say, Dr. Stone, that the mind of Christ in us can be, quote, uh, neuroplasticity, that we can grow in the mind of Christ? Is that, am I taking too much liberty there? <laughs> no, I don't think so at all. Uh, the way God designed us to learn is through actual changes in our brain, and those changes reflect our values and our beliefs and our convictions. So no, not at all. Yeah, I, I, I just kind of thought, I, I know it applies biologically and to the physical organ of the brain in recent decades, the research has shown, but I thought, hey, the mind of Christ too is something that grows in us and continues to yeah. develop. Communication makes the world go round. I think that's a pretty fair statement. With what we're talking about today, Dr. Stone, can this apply to like relational communication, like in family life or friendships or other life domains, mm -hmm. teachers, et cetera? Uh, absolutely. The way God wired us to to uh, communicate is not just for like you know, myself sitting or standing up on Sunday mornings and bringing a Sunday morning sermon, but it affects all of communication because our brains are wired a certain way to, to pay attention, uh, to respond. Uh, to be feel safe around others or to not feel so safe around others. So, yeah, it doesn't really matter the setting that you're in. Sure. Uh, biblical communication principles apply all across the, across the board. Sure. I'm excited about his book, If Jesus Gave a TED Talk, Eight Neuroscience Principles, the Master Teacher Used to Persuade His Audience, a Master Communicator. Dr. Stone and his wife, Cheryl, they really have a heart for pastors and pastors' wives. They've taught internationally and equipped hundreds of couples. He's been a pastor for over 40 years. He's a lead pastor at a church in London, Ontario, Canada. And he has a real interest in neuroscience, as you're going to hear in just a few minutes here. I, I kind of love the concept, Dr. Stone, of like interdisciplinary, how you've taken um, specifically like ministry or ministry leaders, spiritual leaders, and blended it with advances in neuroscience and learning and how to apply that in leadership. I, I love that interdisciplinary approach. They have three grown children and three grandchildren. And let me tell you, because of the topic today, a little bit about his academic credentials. He has an engineering degree from Georgia Tech, a master's of divinity from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, a doctorate of ministry from Trinity Evangelical, and a most recent degree is an executive master's in neuroscience of leadership from the Neuroleadership Institute. And he's doing some other academic work as well, therapeutic models of mindfulness and uh, mind, brain, and teaching from John, John Hopkins University, a certificate there. And are you currently in a PhD program, uh, Dr. Stone, as well? Yes, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. Uh, I'm <laughs> in a PhD program right now and actually studying stress among pastors. That's been very fascinating. Okay. Very fascinating. Yeah, stress, a huge issue today across the, across all of life. And yeah. um, man, we need to find guests with more academic credentials to come on this podcast. I, I, I would like to see that happen. <laughs> <laughs> 
I appreciate it. If you go to his website, charlesstone. Is it .com? Um, yeah, .com. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Charlestone.com. You can sign up for twice weekly blogs that will come to your inbox. And he has some resources there to give you some downloadable freebies, groups of resources. I would encourage you to check out his um, his website. Well, Dr. Stone, I'm sure that earlier in your career, you obviously started in ministry and were trained in ministry early on. And how did you develop this passion for the um, the human brain as well? What um was there a life experience or just was it a personal yeah. interest you've always had? Well, it really was life experience. Almost 35 years ago, we were in Laurel, Mississippi, where uh, my wife grew up and we had our three kids. And they were all preschoolers. And I had high chair duty for my youngest, Tiffany. And when I lifted up a spoon of you know, pureed kumquats or whatever, I noticed her left eye was quivering. Now, if you have kids, you see something like that, that's kind of scary. Mm-hmm. Well, make a long story short, we found out at age one, she had a brain tumor. Fast forward ahead, 34 years, she's had like 10 brain surgeries, been under experimental treatment, had part of her brain removed. Wow. An amazing array of, of medical procedures, but she's doing quite well. She got a master's wow. from a seminary up here in Canada. She loves the Lord. And so we've lived in this whole neuroscience, neurological world for okay. decades and just seeing what, when the brain's not working, what happened to her, kind of bridged the gap with thinking about, okay, what are the applications for me as a leader, as a pastor, as a person? And so that really sent me on this uh, multi-decade uh, journey of learning how God wired our brains and intersecting that with biblical truth. And, uh, you know, my education and my um, um, I guess you could say my hobby is learning. So that's just where it came from. Very visceral family experience that uh, led me just to love understanding how God wired this three-pound amazing thing called the brain. Wow. Wow. You know, coming to Jesus is coming to a learning process, isn't it? And he said, come to oh, me sure. and learn from me. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. He he is the uh, the quintessential master teacher. In fact, that's part of what my book was named after. If, if Jesus gave a TED talk, not that Jesus would give a little 18 minute <laughs> little, little talks, but he is, he masterfully uh, uh, de- developed and lived out uh, the very best ways to communicate and make your message stick and make your message uh, transform people's lives. Of course, he was God. So we don't quite have what he has, certainly but we can learn from him and and how he taught and how he preached and communicated. Sure. You feel there's like principles that we could see and how he communicated that we could abstract and then apply to our personal lives, our professional lives, our, you know, our, I like to call it our kingdom career, our, 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 you know, the ministry that we do that everybody has to bring, uh, you know, their gifts and to serve in ministry, um, you think we can abstract these principles from Jesus as a master teacher, a master communicator, and apply them? Absolutely. You can apply it in every every level. My, the book was really focused on more public uh, communicators, but it is applicable across the board in every situation. Because Jesus just, he, uh, just didn't preach to big crowds. He did that, certainly, and he captured their attention. He, he preached in the synagogue, and they were amazed at his teaching. But he also spent most of his time with his 12 disciples. So it was a different uh, setting, small group. but those same principles he used in a large group and a small group. Hmm. 
Yeah. What? Um, so what motivated you? What prompted you to write this latest book? You have six books out now. If Jesus gave a TED Talk, uh, what what prompted you to write it? Well, you know, I as a pastor and spending 15 to 20 hours a week putting together a message, I've always had this nagging feeling in the back of my mind like, okay, what difference is this making? You know, I, I took 15 to 20 hours of my week. These people come out and hear me preach and teach. They've taken their morning out. And if you collectively put together all the man hours of all mm-hmm. the pastors, let's just say in North America, it is hundreds of thousands of man hours mm. every week. So it made me just think, okay, I know it's seminary and I had these classes on preaching and teaching, but never really uh, did any of my professors talk about the theory of learning, the theories behind what makes messages stick. How, uh, stick. How, do, how do you communicate? And then I saw this uh, uh, diagram that reflects um, some research. Uh, psychologist, a German psychologist, Herman Ebbinghaus, did in the late 1900s. And what he did was he invented a whole bunch of little short nonsense words, memorized them, and then measured how long it took him to forget them. Out of this came something called the Ebbinghaus forgetting curve that science since then has repeatedly proved, yes, this is the truth. And basically it's this. People will forget 95% plus of what you say in a a teaching session in a week's week's time. So it like struck me like, oh my, you mean when I share on Sunday morning, people forget essentially the whole thing within within a week? So that really made me ask myself, okay, are there some tools? Are there some principles that uh, we communicators can apply to increase that retention? And certainly there are. That's why I wrote the, wrote the book and why others are are looking at the neuroscience behind learning and communication. So that was just a wake up uh, mm, call for me. For sure. <laughs> yeah, really. And, and you feel that not only can this apply to like um, presenting before a larger crowd, like a pastor would do or a Christian leader might do in a church setting or a conference, but we can apply this relationally in much smaller clusters, maybe teachers, writers, team leaders. How about sales and like government leaders have to persuade and, you you know. Absolutely. Anytime you're trying to communicate to somebody else what we learn from Jesus, what we learn from neuroscience, if you combine the two, there's great, there are great lessons uh, in those two, uh, the combination of those two sources of communication that anybody can use in any setting. I love Dallas Willard, and you you probably resonate yep. with him. Yep. Jesus is the most brilliant person who's ever walked the planet, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. the master of molecules, he calls him. And um, I just, I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, Dr. Stone, for those who might be uh, antagonistic towards Christianity. Um stating that to follow Christ is for the uh, feeble-minded or the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the lower rungs of thinkers, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. What's interesting, uh, somebody did a study of Nobel winners, of Nobel Prize winners, this is maybe 20 years ago, uh, to find out what their faith was. And a percentage, something like 70% plus of Nobel Prize winners mm. or of the Christian faith. Mm. So... Christianity is not with the feeble-minded whatsoever. It is the most attested to faith, worldview, belief system of every other system in the world. So it's not just, yeah, it, it takes faith, not a blind leap of faith, because it's based on incredible truths and historical evidence and all, all of that. 
Sure. I'm I'm all about that. I, I appreciate that very much. So before we talk about, we're going to do like a flyover view of just the eight core principles in your book about how Jesus taught and the neuroscience of communication. But And then we're going to focus on just several of those, maybe in a little more depth. But what is the overall motif, the overall theme of your book? Yeah. Well, what I did was I started out with eight questions. I'll give you these briefly. And these eight questions drove eight principles, which then drove three practical ways to apply these principles. So question one is, where do you want to take your audience, whether it be an audience of one or a thousand? Number two, how can you get your audience to really listen to you? Number three, why should your audience listen to you? That's the so what question. Okay. Or how can you beat the competition vying for the attention of your audience? And there are always distractions, no matter what your audience is. Hmm. Five, how can you help your audience feel your message? Because emotional learning is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Six, how can you help your message stick in the minds and hearts of your audience better? Seven, How can you help those in your audience believe that they can change and do what you suggest or that you're asking them to do? Eight, what does your audience need to do after your speech, sermon, lesson, conversation, or training session? In other words, what do you want them to take away? What action do you want to evoke? So those are the really eight fundamental questions that drove the eight principles. I'll touch on these quickly, and then we can take apart, you know, two or three, whatever you'd like to do. Sure. Principle one is clarity okay. begin with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. Principle two is attention, peak interest. Principle three is affinity, create connection. Okay. Principle four is capacity, free up working memory. Working memory is that part of our memory that stores information like, uh, you know, someone tells you a phone number, you can store it there for 30 or so seconds long enough so you can make the call. That's working memory. Very, very important in learning. Yeah. Principle five, durability, stimulate long-term memory. This is that part of your memory where you remember your first grade teacher's name. Mm, Okay. Principle six, emotion, engage the heart. Principle seven, mindset, cultivate confidence that your listener really can make changes. Sure. And the principle A, transfer, stimulate life application. So those are the eight questions that led to the principles and happy to touch on some of these principles that you think would be uh, most helpful for your listeners. Yeah. Well, let's talk about connection. Let's talk about principle number three. Let's start there, creating an affinity. I mean, connection is so huge. It's a huge issue. People feel very disconnected, very fragmented, very distracted, as you say. Mm -hmm. Everything is flying at us with warp at warp speed. And so there must be, if we're going to create a meaningful communication process, I guess we could assume we must create a meaningful connection and affinity, knowing who we're talking to. Why don't you start there? And um, I think that's a, a, a good highlight right there. Sure, sure. When I say create connections with connection with two things, first of all, with your material, Uh, you know, we've all been in whether it's a classroom or even a a Sunday morning and the speaker, the pastor or the teacher, you just you just need they don't really they aren't comfortable with what they're talking about. (laughs) They don't really know what they're talking about. At least that sure appears that way. So. That requires a homework on our side. Make sure we know the material that we're communicating or the or the purpose behind this conversation uh, when we're going to have a conversation with somebody. Yeah. So that's that's the one side. But the bigger thing is the human connection. People will listen to you more when they like you. 
Uh, it's called in-group, out-group. In-group, uh, out-group. What scientists have discovered, psychologists have discovered that when uh, people feel like you're in their in-group, they're more likely to pay attention to you, to follow you, to listen to you. If they feel like you're in the out-group, you're actually they can actually see you as a threat to them. That's not even conscious. It's subconscious. And because of that, they're just not going to listen to you hmm. as well. So when we connect with our audiences, sometimes that may be... Like if I'm in a new audience, what I've done sometimes, I've, I've thrown up a picture of my family. Like, hey, here's my kids, you know, here's my dog. And that creates a little connection and say, okay, this is kind of a normal guy. He's got kids, he's got, he's got a dog. You yeah, know, that builds trust. Yeah. Yeah, it builds trust. It, exactly. Absolutely. And of course, when you're in a new audience, it takes a little more time for that. But as a pastor, um, I just continue to tell little stories, you know, kind of make fun of myself. And that kind of brings down the fear level and people like, okay, this guy's going to really hit me hard with something that I can't do or be harsh with me. So that's, that's creating connection. Now, one other piece as well is if, if you know the person you're going to, or you know your audience, mm-hmm. the more you know your audience, the more you're able to tailor what you're trying to communicate to them because you know a bit about their needs. So that also creates connection. It's not like, like I'm, I was uh, up here in Canada um, we don't have, uh, well, we do have a couple of Chick-fil-A's, but in the South, you know, there are Chick-fil-A's everywhere. Everybody knows where a Chick-fil-A yeah. is. Well, yeah. this guy was up here speaking to a group of Canadian pastors and he talked about, um, uh, some Chick-fil-A item and everybody's looking around like, oh, what is that? Well, I knew what it was, <laughs> yeah. but they didn't. Yeah. So, so he missed a little bit of connection there because when that happens, people think like, this guy does not know me. They don't think it consciously, but subconsciously. So, so that's kind of the essence of connection. Know what you're going to say well enough that it communicates that you're connected to your material, but also know your people, the people you're communicating to. If you don't find ways to to, to break the ice, you know that that's that's the the concept of create connection. Sure, affinity. it's a pretty powerful baseline human instinct, isn't it? To be seen, to be heard, to be known. Yes, yes, certainly is. If as it, whether you're having coffee with a friend at the coffee shop and you're communicating something meaningful or a small group or, or, or a larger audience, um, and Jesus, he, um, he did that, right? He was able to make oh, people yes. feel special, uh, in that way. Yes. And of course, on the other hand, too, because he knew people's hearts, he also had run ins with the Pharisees a lot because they were. Uh, they opposed him and opposed uh, grace. It was, you know, all legalism. And, and you know, it's, it's something, Brian, also, I've noticed that people want more connection post-COVID. Oh. It's because, you know, we, I don't, I don't know about on Ohio, but here in Canada, we were shut down for months and mm-hmm. months and months and months. Mm-hmm. And people hunger for that relational connection. So this is really a, a wonderful time where people are much more open to those connections and, you know, whether church is focusing on you know, Sunday school classes or small groups or whatever, it's a real opportunity to capitalize on what I believe is an increased desire for connection because we were without it for so long. Yeah. There was such a disconnect. I mean, yeah, yeah. the hunger has been heightened and amplified big time. So it's yeah. an opportunity to, to really um, serve those we're communicating with, to connect with them in that way, in, in, an, in an authentic way, right? We're not talking about yes. it. Yes, superficiality. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not fake. People see through that quickly. Yeah. Yeah, they can sense it and sniff it out for sure. 
Hey, can we pull away for just a moment and then we'll get right back to the balance of this conversation with Dr. Charles Stone. Are you getting the Kingdom Brew newsletter yet? And if not, may I ask, why not? It's the only newsletter that um, never gains weight and stays in summer shape all year long. Okay, that's absurd. That's absurd, but I'd really like for you to consider subscribing and being notified when new episodes go live. Plus, we have content in that newsletter that helps us to, uh, we're all seeking to quest and to level up with our Christ following. You can sign up for the e-letter to keep you updated about new things and resourcing from Jesus Smart. What's it all about? It's all about you and me and our world going above and beyond as an apprentice of Jesus Christ and his kingdom you can check it out at jesusmart.com slash newsletter, jesusmart.com slash newsletter. So affinity, creating connection. I, um, I love that. And so, I'm, I mean, you, you know, you could think about it like, I don't know, fix the wiring. If, if, if you want some kind of a currency to flow between two different people or a group and a speaker or something, sort of got to... F- fix the wiring, you know, make sure the connection is there that it, so, yeah. so that it can happen. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. we get that 95% thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. Wow. And what about emotion now? Um, there's, you know, IQ, that's always been around intelligent quotient. And recently there's been EQ, you know, emotional quotient, engaging people, engaging at the heart level. What about that? How did, how did Jesus use that? How did he model it? And, and what's, and what's that message for us? Yeah, I think if we could have been a fly on the wall and heard Jesus preach, his preaching was, I think, with great passion. Now, when I say passion, I don't mean that he he yelled and you know, that kind of thing. But there was such passion that came through his preaching and teaching that it arrested the attention of others. Mm. Because they said several, we're in the book of Mark, and when he began his public ministry, he went to the synagogue in Capernaum. And he started preaching, and people said, who is this person that yeah. preaches with yeah. authority? They were dumbfounded because the scribes and Pharisees didn't preach like that. You know, there was certainly maybe presented good information, but it was dry and passionless. So yeah. emotion not only is from the communicator, where we preach with or teach or we talk with passion and conviction. Again, it's not not overbearing kind of you know decibel level thing. Yeah, but that's part of it as well. But also on the other end is that uh, scientists are finding out how powerful emotional learning is. It's not just presenting the facts, but it's doing it in the context of connecting deeply with the heart. For example, um, there's something called light bulb learning. Hmm. Now. Uh, I remember exactly where I was uh, when the Challenger exploded. Mm-hmm. I remember exactly when 9-11 occurred. I was in California. Uh, it was early in the morning. My son called me and he said, Dad, turn on the TV. I think it's Armageddon. I still remember that time in that place, those kind of things where this light yeah. bulb learning. Comes. Yeah, for sure. That's one thing. We're not talking about necessarily creating that situation in a you know in a 20-minute talk. You may be able to, but kind of tough to do that but rather emotions actually are powerful in helping material stick helping conversations stick so that's one part of emotion engaging the heart not only your heart and communicating but engaging the heart of the listener but there's another part that i call and it's that i put in this category it's it's called cognitive dissonance okay what that means is if you're presenting 
you're wanting people to ev evoke change, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, evoke change in mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. If you're too far ahead of them, you lose them. You've lost their mind. You've lost uh, their attention. You've lost their their heart. Too far you don't ahead. want to be okay. so far out of your listener yeah. that they give up before you finish. So it's kind of backing up and really giving thought in preparation. I'm thinking here of a, of, of a speech or a talk or a message, giving thought to that. Like, am I presenting something that is too big of a chunk to bite off? Okay. Too big of a leap? Yeah. And now it's right. It's faith. You know, you don't want to just like not challenge. But make sure that your challenge to them does not overload uh, uh, their minds and their and their emotions that I am not really interested. I can't do this. So that's called limiting the impact of a cognitive dissonance. And mm. one more piece to emotion mm. is well-placed stories. Telling mm. good stories. It, and Jesus did that. They were called the parables. And of course, we don't have everything Jesus said. And he certainly had more stories and more parables that he used. But that's a powerful way to communicate emotion because what it happens is when someone hears a story that we tell, if we're telling a good a good story, telling it well, they're entering into that story and they're like players in that story. So they're engaging their mind and their heart, their whole whole being, except you know maybe their hands are not running or you know like that. But their whole internal being is engaged in that story because they become an actor in that story. So that's another practical way to use emotion and engage the heart using well-placed stories. I love that. And stories tend to use like the, th you know, the theater, the mind imagery, right. And symbolism, yes. And, yes. which is extremely powerful. And back to the cognitive dissonance piece. So are you saying that as a leader and if you're communicating, obviously if you're communicating something to anybody, you're wanting to move together with them on something, it seems, right? Or yep. you're wanting to bring yep. them along from A to B. So you're saying that we should just be a step or two maybe ahead of them, right? And not, yeah. not miles and miles of... Yeah. Well, let me just give an example. Let's say you're bringing a message on the importance of having a a devotional time every day, okay. you know, a quiet time, you know, it's called different things. And let's say you kind of have a sense that probably 75% of people out there don't really do that. They may read a one minute thing, uh, yeah. uh, daily bread, and that's it. Yep. And you want to encourage them to do more. I have a starting gate. If you say, listen, next week, I challenge you to spend an hour a day with God. <laughs> you have lost them. Yeah. You've lost most people. And there's that onesie and twosie that'll, oh, okay, I'll try that. It's like when I, I do a message, I come out of it with uh, practical points and I say, okay, let's say if I had six practical points to doing a, a devotional, you know, or maybe six obstacles that keep you from doing a devotional. Say, okay, here's my challenge. Five days this week, just pick one of those, just one, and do that. And have five to 10 minutes, three days this next week, a devotional time. You can do that. You really can do that. That gives them sense like, you know, I really, really can do that. Then I say, and then after that week, maybe bump it up to four days a week. So it's what you're saying. You want to just say a couple of steps ahead, give them hope that I can do this. And this really ties into it, some of the other principles, but that's, uh, that's the cognitive distance piece. Not too much or you'll lose them. Not too much. And, you know, when you're really passionate about something and really motivated, you can easily not appreciate that gap 
you know? Yeah. yeah. I, I have noticed that, that you, you assume that they're just right there with you and they're not, mm-hmm. you know, they're, you, maybe you assume they're as, as excited and motivated about it as you are, yes. but they're not <laughs> at all. Uh-huh. And yes. uh, I have, um, this is a real something for me. It's not that I'm motivated about everything like I should be in, you know, advanced and all this. It's not that. It's just that I know that there are probably some topics or niches or something that I have assumed, you know, too much. And um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're 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 probably not coming along like I uh, like I would want or th- have thought. Right. Even with parenting, right? right? right. I mean, mm-hmm. oh sure. <laughs> I have read back into like, well, when I was twenty, I was this way, but that doesn't work well with yeah with um your kids <laughs> i mean i don't yes. say that but i just think it you know but and, yeah, and i assume right, right. but it's not uh-huh. it's not true and they're probably yeah. more advanced than me in some ways too when i was <laughs> <laughs> well i love that emotion drives action right so i mean yeah yeah you know you've heard a little wordplay i'm sure that emotion you know the word motion is in emotion and and mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and and to move the heart is is to create action Yep. Okay, yep. so that first one we're highlighting then is um, affinity, creating connection, know, like, and trust, cultivating that authentically, really connecting with the uh, recipient of the person you're communicating with. And now this one, emotion, engaging the heart, not just the mind. And now let's uh, highlight number eight, if we could, sure. stimulating life application, making that transfer. Now what? Okay, how can we? Um, how should we think about that? Yeah, in, in a in a speech or a talk or a message or a Bible study, the goal is not just to disseminate information. You know, the responsibility is on the teacher, it's not on the student. Really, well, yeah, the student has to take some role in this too, but uh, the main responsibility is that the teacher sees that learning occurs. Learning means that something happens outside the classroom. Except maybe all calculus, that's maybe an exception. But in in a Christian setting, you want your goal would be for for the the recipient, the listener, to take away something that they could apply during the day. They'll change their belief system. They'll change their value. They'll uh, help them move a notch forward in in behavior change. Mm -hmm. So that's what transfer is: stimulate life application. How do we do that? Well, uh, again. The onus is on the communicator who puts together the talk to include some of these concepts and principles so that the listener can remember to do that called prospective uh, um, memory. Remember to do something in the future. Prospective And there's simple memory. ways okay. you can do that, like uh, simple clues. Like uh, I teach a course on uh, co- uh, coaching in the brain, and I designed this little acronym called STOR, S-T-O-R-R. It's STOR misspelled, but it uses a little store. And so I say, imagine this little store. It's full of brain hacks, just full of brain hacks. And the S-T-O-R-R refers to uh, words related to some of these brain hacks. So that they can remember the little house, and then that can prompt them to remember at least some of these uh, words in the acronym. So it's helping giving them cues that they can take with them that when they think of something or they of the subject it goes to that cue which goes to the the challenge the um you know the behavioral change or the value change now one of the things that we do sometimes 
is we'll have printed up little business-sized cards that maybe have one or two questions about the message. If people leave from our service, we give them one of those. And they're real cheap to, to get printed. Hmm, so that's kind of the cue. I say, you know, uh, tape it on your refrigerator, tape it on your dashboard. Let that be the cue for you to think about this question or for you to do this little project for that week. So yeah. just thinking creatively how to help people take away something from your message that they will remember to do or think about that next week rather than, you know, at lunch, like, what did the pastor talk about? Uh, let's see, what is it? It's about the Bible. Right. Bible and Jesus. Yeah. It's about the Bible. Yes. Well, hopefully yeah. it was more detailed than that. <laughs> That's interesting. Now what? So like if you're talking with a, a grandchild and you're really seeking to transfer something of value to them that you want them to take into their future. I, I just love that way of thinking. What do you want them to do beyond this conversation or this Bible yes. study yes. or this training mm -hmm. session, whatever, yeah. outside the classroom or outside the venue? You know, what do you want them to, you know, what are you hoping they will advance on and move on? And so you're saying yes. even cues, little boy, memory hooks or acronyms or cards yes. or yes. anything right. to stimulate that. Yes, absolutely. Those little simple little things that you can do. You can do that to your grand a grandchild, like, hey, uh, here's a, you know, oh, I'm just making this up, uh, a fake dollar. Uh, it's important to learn to to tie, let's say. So I want you to take this on your dresser to remind you. And this week, you come to me and I'm going to give you three little projects that I'm going to pay you to do. So that you'll have money to you know buy candy or whatever, okay. but also money that you give back to the Lord. Mm. So just helping them remember in the future that prospective memory, what you want them to do. That's that's the cue. Prospective memory. So normally we think of memory as looking back, right? Yes. And, right. And and what's the short definition of prospective memory again? It's remembering to do something in the future. That's prospective memory. Interesting. Prospective memory. And I suppose that just as a general principle in life, it would be we would be healthier if we focused more on prospective memory than exactly necessarily That's always looking tells us. Yeah. back. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, I love this. And let's just touch on one more, just for a moment, if you don't yeah. mind. Mm -hmm. Number seven, you talk about creating confidence. You talk about acting yeah. with a contagious spirit. What about that? Yeah. What about con creating a positive contagion? <laughs> yeah, uh, there's confidence. something called emotional contagion. Okay. And it basically says that people will catch your emotions. That's true. If you if you're an influencer, uh, like a business leader or a father, mother, a pastor, people will catch your emotions, good and bad. I'll give you a quick illustration. Um, when I lived in uh, Illinois, I went to a hamburger place. They said had good hamburgers, and I went up and ordered like number two, which was a hamburger and a medium prize, and you know, paid for it. The guy was at the cash register. Was he pretty grumpy? Anyway, I must be had a bad day. So I, you know, stood and waited for my order. And I got my order, and it was a small thing of French fries. I said, oh, sir, I'm sorry, but I ordered a medium. Well, that guy looked at it, and he turned around to the cook in the back, and he yelled at him, you were supposed to give him a medium fries, not a small fry. And then the guy kind of yelled back at him. I later found out that the guy at the cash register was the owner of the place. Mm. So he had set the tone. His emotional contagion had set the tone. So when you... When you're when you're before in the venue before others, don't apologize. Like, oh man, you know, I just I didn't get much sleep last night, so this is not going to be very good. 
or if you come up, you're mad because you're still ticked off because of some issue that happened at home. <laughs> Bring that positive, um, encouraging spirit because people will cast it. If you're, if you're grumpy, you start out grumpy, the people are not going to really pay attention to you. So cultivate confidence in your, in your listener that they can do what you want them to do and the, the enthusiasm you bring helps them believe, hey, I can do this. I really can do that. I mean, I guess you would say that as an influencer, as a leader, as a communicator, that we need to transcend these things, don't we? We need to be disciplined. So if we yes. had a conflict at home or if we're going Leave through a there. very stressful time in the small business and we don't know how we're going to meet payroll or something, you know, that we are able to remain in that higher place. Yeah. Yeah. That's, now, that, that's tough. The, the exception be. is there's still the authenticity. Sometimes you're going to have a bad day. You're mm -hmm. not necessarily faking it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes uh, in, a, in a message, I come and say, folks, you know, it's been a really, really tough week. You know, maybe uh, we had to take our daughter's aid to the hospital. Now that uh, builds empathy, but you're not bringing this man, this angry, this bitter. downer yeah. kind of thing. You're bringing authenticity. So those, that's another part of helping your listener be endeared to you, that you're a real person. You've had some struggles, but it's not every Sunday. It's not every Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday in the office. <laughs> That's it, what you want to avoid. And it's not bitter, right? It's right. not, it's, it's right. not, it's not bitter and, 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 and uh, toxic because yep. we yep. do cast a shadow over that, which we lead or over those that oh, we communicate yes. with. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this is almost like, would you say this is almost like an intangible spiritual thing that happens that we, we actually sort of, for good or bad, we move in a certain spirit, if you will. Yes. And well, there's something called mentalizing, which is what I call one of the silent senses God has given us. And that's the ability that we have to intuit the, the feelings and thoughts and intentions of others. We kind of just sense that. And that's based on, I think, the Holy Spirit working in us. Yeah. It's based on something called the insula deep inside our brain. It's based on our ability to kind of sense and see micro facial expressions, all those okay. kinds of okay. things. So, yeah. yes, it's a combination of spiritual uh, mm -hmm. sensitivity, but also the way God wired our brains and how we pay attention to others and what we notice. It's just really more of a Hebraic mindset, right, of what it is to be a human. We can't compartmentalize like areas of like discernment or spirituality from physicality, right? And from just exactly an yes, earthiness. Yes, we're one unit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's all, it's all together. And I love how, you know, God, when he's the sanctification process or the or the quest for wholeness that he has us on it just touches that it's integrated yeah, you know yeah. the entirety of our um our, our human experience um i i really appreciate this i um it's challenging it's challenging as a husband and a father it's challenging if you're leading a group or something or a business or whatever i mean it's it's po it's it's positively challenging that that we can up our game with communication. Jesus shows us a lot. Would you mind praying over us? Sure. This you've you've obviously carved out this space of awareness and education and the Lord using you in a very unique way with this topic, these themes. Would you just pray over us that we would yeah. do better? Yeah, thank you. You bet. I'll do that right now. Father, I thank you so much for technology that allows us to have these conversations and tape them and get them out for others to listen. And Lord, uh, I thank you for designing us the way you have, designing our brain and giving us the ability to think and 
form words and form sentences and form things that we want to say and communicate. Thank you for the the beauty of of language. Mm-hmm. Lord, sometimes we don't use it well, um, and it's the root of so many relational issues. Lord, I pray for the listeners of this podcast that you might take a, a nugget or two from our conversation and maybe an encouragement and a blessing to that listener. Pray that your Holy Spirit would take these insights and just embed them deep into all of us. Lord, even though I've written on it and mm-hmm. practiced it, I've got a long way to go myself. But you have shown us uh, your um, your way of communicating with, with, with perfection, really, yeah. through the Gospels as we see how Jesus taught and how he told stories and how he challenged. And may we learn from him as the quintessential teacher of all teachers. And we give this whole um, process of communication into your hands. Remind us that it's a gift from you. We want to steward it well. We pray this in your name. Amen. 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 I so appreciate this. And, you know, we, you, we can leverage this. If, if we learn and model and impart this in life, you know, to those that we influence and communicate, we can, we can, this is part of the Jesus way of living life. You know, mm-hmm. we can, we can leverage this influence. Yes. Yes. And, um, wow. So charlestone.com. And if you sign up for the, um, email list there, twice weekly blog posts that come out, also some downloadable freebies. And the book again, if Jesus gave a TED Talk, Eight Neuroscience Principles, the master teacher used to persuade his audience. We're in a communication war, I think, aren't we? I mean, there's a narrative war going on out there. And oh, yes, yes. Thought wars, and we need to get in the stadium and get in the game on this big time. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Stone. We appreciate you. Thanks, Brian. I just love this idea of blending the presence and ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives along with what we can learn about the brain and about neuroscience. And of course, all of that is traced back to the Creator as well. How to be a persuasive communicator. And Jesus Christ, right in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the New Testament, illustrates for us and highlights eight neuroscience principles that we now know about in his communication, in his persuasion. And that's what this theme is all about with Dr. Charles Stone. I appreciate you, Dr. Charles Stone. You're creating a voluminous amount of work and content, and I look forward to more coming coming from you. We appreciate you. You can check out his website again at charlesstone.com. Well, thanks for listening today. Again, this episode, jesussmart.com slash 263. And I'll look forward to being with you next time.